Thank you all for tuning in to Politics, Religion, and Whiskey, the Josh Terry Podcast, brought to you by Raisin Grace Studios. Shout out to Williams Tire over in Danville. Mr. Uh, William, I'm coming to see you soon. Thanks for helping your boy out. To Nobles Networking, uh, Chris is awesome. If you live in rural Georgia, hit him up. He hooks up our internet here at the office. I'm telling you, it's jam up. I also got it at my house. It's awesome. Um, and Red Circle, thank you for putting some change in my pocket and hooking us up with some major sponsors. Uh, you guys are, you guys are cool. I very much appreciate you. Uh, last week, uh, on the last episode we did was with Miss Kylie Strickland. Um, it was her battle that she just went through uh, with domestic violence and everything over the past month, or a couple months. Uh, it was a very good episode with us. We, uh, our thoughts and prayers are still with her. She will be here with a whole mess load of just, I don't even know what the word is we're going to use for tomorrow's show. Um, but the only reason I bring it up now is because uh, Miss Brittany, who is on the Zoom call with me today, uh, she was inspired by Kylie's show to share her show, as many of you are share her story, excuse me as many of you have been. And uh, as much as I could wish that I could get to every one of y'all, it's just, it's not feasible. Um, But this young lady, uh, from her handicap to everything else that she's been through, she caught my attention. Uh, She has a very positive outlook on life. She's been through a lot. Uh, She shared a little bit of her story with me already. And I think you guys are really going to get inspired by this young lady. And, um... Well, you know the deal. We're going to have a couple drinks. We're going to talk politics, religion, whiskey, and her life. And uh, let's see how it goes. So here's uh, here's Miss Brittany. How are you doing today? I'm good, Josh. Well, you got to say more than just I'm good. You got to talk a little <laughs> bit now. This can't be a one-sided okay. podcast. Okay, so um, you just want me to start from the beginning? Or, well, well, first, well, 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 first, that's that's called an introduction. Where do you want me? That's called an introduction. I got you. You just let the director drive here. Uh, oh, yeah. Sorry I got that. You. I got you. Uh, introduce yourself, first off, where you're from. Uh, tell them where they can find you on social media if they want to reach out to you. Okay, my name's Brittany. Um so I am going through a little bit of a rebrand as far as social media goes. Um, most people up until now knew me as the wheelchair Barbie, but I did actually, I'm in the middle of a rebrand. I just changed my name. Um, just like real quick about that. Like I'm going to do a TikTok like talking about it just because a lot of people have noticed it, but like real quick about it, like my, as a lot of people know, like from TikTok, like my kid's dad just recently died. So that like had a little bit to do with it. And so I don't know. I'll get into it more on there, but yeah, so I'm going through that. So yeah, if you are looking for me on social media, you won't find me by that anymore. It's, um, wheel queen B and, um, yeah, I'm from Minnesota and I am 30 years old and yeah. So is that just on, do you have an Instagram or anything else like that? that Yeah. No. Yeah. Oh yeah. And my Instagram is the same too. And I only use like, I don't have Facebook or anything like that. I got rid of that years ago. So that's the only social media you do. And and I do have a YouTube channel, which I will be starting to post on now. Like I was going to start posting once I hit 100,000 on TikTok, which I did, but life kind of just got in the way, but eventually that will be coming too. So life happens to all of us, ma'am. Well, uh, 
First off, uh, tell us why you reached out to me in the first place. Okay, so um, I've followed Kylie for a while now. Not like a super long time, but quite a while, like since last fall, probably. And I've talked to Kylie before a little bit. And then um, obviously, you know, we all know that she likes to show a lot of her life on social media. So, you know, you kind of get invested in that. And so, you know, the Cody situation definitely got me over to your podcast because I was curious and I wanted to hear what was going on so that's how I initially got started listening to your podcast and then I kept listening to it and then I actually saw Kylie's post about her domestic um, violence situation so then when she had said when you guys had announced that she did that episode I listened to that and I also listened to your other domestic abuse um, episode that you did too and just listening to Kylie's story really hit home for me because I went through a lot of some of the, some similar things and like I, you know I've watched Kylie for a little while you know and I've kind of got an idea of her as a person I just we're really close in age and I just see a lot of myself in her and I you know he, he, especially hearing that phone call that you guys played like it just oh my god it gave my 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 I gave me goosebumps just hearing that because it was just like deja vu for me and it just really hit home and you know it's inspiring and you know people People need to know, you know, need to see, like, I think it, what she's doing while showing it while she's going through it is just great because people do need to see that. And people also need to see the side that she's showing people that it's okay for you to love and hate your abuser. Like you could, like you can do both and it's okay to feel those feelings and it's okay to have mixed feelings about that. And I just, you know, I, I felt all those same things and I could just really relate to it. And it was just really I think what you guys are doing are, is really awesome. Well, they're just, and being a part of it is even more awesome. So, well, well there just needs to be. Uh, I mean, with most things that are taboo, there's a stigma attached to it, and there's so many people that are scared, they're embarrassed, they're whatever, um, to just even acknowledge that they're in that relationship or they're in that situation, and uh, it's just like I've told Kylie, I've told everybody else. Uh, if you're scared to be in that situation, the best thing you can do is tell your loved ones because your loved ones, there's a quote that I absolutely love. And it's actually, uh, we're releasing a shirt tomorrow and, uh, this, this shirt has this on it. It's a domestic violence shirt. And it, uh, it says for those I love, I do, I will do great and terrible things. People don't realize if you're being hurt or you're being abused or whatever it is, if you tell your loved ones and you tell people that absolutely adore you. They're going to do their best to stand up for you and not allow that abuse to continue. And uh, that that's just what more people want to know. Like, I am i don't think I'm going to get knocked for this. I do a lot of shows that have uh, nothing to do with domestic violence, that have uh, just whatever, dude. Like, we just have a good time. We drink. We talk shit. Uh, we just had a recovery show on a couple weeks ago. Uh, I do all kind of different shit. But uh, the past couple shows I've done have been more of a serious touch, trying to help somebody. And it is just because I feel like somebody out there, I thank Kylie and you for sharing your stories. I think it helps some woman that needs to hear it right now. And uh, just needs to know that, hey, go tell your dad. Go tell your brother. Go tell your, your best guy friend. Go tell some fucking guy that you grew up with that, that you ain't seen in a while that you know would have your back. Get out of the fucking situation you're in. And the more people that hear y'all stories, 
is the better chance that somebody gets help and get out of that situation. That's why I'm kind of taking a break from the bullshit and having a good time and sharing y'all stuff because it's it's what matters. Uh, a laugh and all that other shit's fun. Like, I'd love it just as much as anybody. Tomorrow we got a show that's going to be fucking wild as hell. But before that one comes out, if we've got a chance that there's people that didn't resonate with Kylie and maybe they resonate with your situation, you know? So it's a... Uh, you know, uh, it just makes sense to do things like this, and I wish more people did. So, um, that being said, let's go ahead and dive into it. Um, well, just real quick, too. I also think that, you know, it's not always that people don't think that their family members or their whoever is going to stick up for them. I think sometimes that's the problem, you know, is that your, your, your family is the one, and the people closest to you are the people you tell last because their impression they want you to like who they're with, you know, and until you're a hundred percent sure you're ready to leave, you know, you don't want those people to have those ill feelings towards that person. And, and, and not only just that, but you're also embarrassed that you let yourself get in that situation, you know, because I used to be that person who was like, I can't believe these girls just don't leave. Like, why would they stay if they're getting beat? Like, that's just ridiculous. Like, how could they do that until I was in that situation? And you don't even realize like you can be the smartest person in the world, but somehow they just manage to manipulate you and make you think that everything's your fault when it's absolutely not, but they just mess with your head. And it's something you can't like, you, you can't really understand until you've been through it. And I think that that's another thing, you know, it's just the sheer embarrassment. They don't want to tell people that, you know, like how could they possibly let themselves get into something like this, you know? Yeah, that's why we have to, in any way, shape, or form that's possible, be able to take the stigma away. Um, and that's why we're doing this. So let's uh, let's let's dive into your story and let's see, uh, kind of talk about how it started. Like, what got you into the situation uh, right off the bat? Go ahead and start with, you know, I told you to write like a timeline out. Remember, mm -hmm. uh, before we start this, because uh, the worst thing we can do is be long-winded. Um, and that goes for, for me more than anybody else, you know, hit, hit the meat and potatoes. Uh, I, it's very hard to sum up somebody's life story in an hour or an hour and 30 minutes. So, uh, hit the meat and potatoes of it and, uh, tell people the parts that they need to hear the parts that really, that you think are going to affect somebody and touch them. All right. So basically, um, I was married. I got married at a very young age, not very smart. I thought I knew it all. Like a lot of younger people, you know, I thought I knew everything. Now I realize at 30 years old, I know absolutely nothing still, but I got married. I was just way too, I was just always, I, I didn't have the greatest childhood. So I guess I was just always in a hurry to grow up and have the family that I never had. Well, me and the person that I married just weren't, we just weren't meant to be you know, it was kind of a toxic relationship, but it was kind of my fault. Like it was kind of, I pushed it just, I was a codependent person at the time. And I just pushed his buttons. And I know that now, but, um, we just, we just weren't meant to be basically. So I met my kid's dad right away while I was still going through my divorce, because in the County I lived in, you had, when you filed for divorce, you had to wait till six months after you filed to be able to like, even go to court to get divorced. So it took time even though we had nothing together. 
But um, I got pregnant immediately with my kid's dad. Like, I don't even know if we're officially dating. Like, I got pregnant within the first 30 days. Like, everyone said it, it was never going to work. They thought I was, we thought, they thought we were crazy, whatever. But, you know, we made it work for eight and a half, kind of work for eight and a half years anyway, I guess. But, um, so, um, I, um, I also, um, had quit drinking at the time. I was, um. I'd gotten three DUIs before I turned 21. I I think, honestly, I don't think it was as big of a problem as I was just an immature child. Um, Most kids That's are, a like... whole different story. <laughs> that's a whole different story, but it, it ties into the fact that he was on drug court at the time when I met him, and we both wanted similar things. Like, we both wanted to be sober. We wanted a life of sobriety. Like, he understood where I was coming from, where my ex didn't, and, you know, that felt good. That was great, you know, like you finally I was like having someone who related to me like and it's kind of weird because like people when they first found out that we we're together they were like oh my gosh before I even before you guys even knew each other like when I met you you were like the male version or the female version of him and it's like weird how similar we were and people thought of us like that anyway that's why I think that it it got so serious I mean obviously I got pregnant too so that's another reason it got so serious so fast but obviously it just wasn't healthy from the start and um I was obviously just getting divorced and my mom wasn't I was just moving back home from you know my and stuff and my parents weren't exactly thrilled that I got pregnant right then I was 20 21 but still they weren't happy and my mom said that I could live at home but only until I um had the baby and then I had to leave or whatever so we kind of got into it and that's when our relationship started to go kind of rocky because I didn't actually talk to my family for six months uh three months before I was pregnant and three months after my daughter was born so I actually moved in with him and his mom and then um and and I mean we had some fights but it wasn't like bad like the first nine months were pretty good like things were pretty good I was pregnant like things were decent he was clean like life was good we met at cosmetology school um things were good but then um so I had so I had chronic health issues when I was pregnant with our daughter like I had a lot of kidney stones I was in and out of the hospital a lot um and so I had to go on a leave of absence from cosmetology school because you can only miss so many hours without having to pay owe them money and so I just had to so the so I took six months off three months before she was born and three months after and like his job like the only bill we had was our cell phone bill and um like whatever else we needed for the month and Milan needed for, or, or our daughter needed for the month and um after she was born and before she was born obviously we didn't have that other than things to get ready for her and whatever so because he graduated um cosmetology school in January and she was born in February and so like that's the only bill you had to worry about basically was our cell phone bill like that's all and so that I could concentrate and finish school when I went back well when I I got he got off the drug court on a on Friday he I now know this obviously I didn't know this at the time but he relapsed on Saturday and I got induced with our daughter on Sunday but my induction was long and hard and I was in labor and I didn't have her until Tuesday almost Wednesday morning it was Tuesday at 11 47 p.m I had her and like things were kind of weird like he was being kind of sketchy like coming in and out of my um 
coming in and out of my hospital room and like being kind of weird and bringing kind of goofy people around and like whatever. But I, but I, everything was like, I was so distracted by everything else that I guess I didn't really pay too much attention. But it was obviously clear as day he had relapsed then, but I obviously didn't put two and two together till later. And um, then we had our daughter or whatever. And I went through postpartum depression really bad. So I was so focused on that and like thinking that everything was like my fault and oh, I'm just dealing with postpartum depression. So it's just me overthinking things, even though things were getting weird and things were going bad. And he was like, falling asleep sitting up and like he was starting to get more angry and violent and like everything was just started to get really weird and then finally one day his mom said something to me at um walmart we're at walmart together and she finally said something was like Brittany, i feel like dustin's using but she was so scared to say anything to me and i was too scared to say anything to her because we didn't want to hurt each other's feelings with it you know and we just had this brand new baby and like so finally she said something to me and I was like, yeah, I think the same thing. And we're going to like try to wait for his bank statement to come and then um, like read his bank statement to see if he was like taking a lot of ATM withdrawals out because that's clear as day who takes a bunch of ATM withdrawals out if you're not using drugs. That's the only thing you can't use your debit card for, you know? So we go, so I was like, wait, Nancy, I was like, I bet, which is mom's name. Um, I bet you I can get into his bank account. I bet you his password's the same as his password for his email or whatever. And it was. And the first thing we saw was all these, every single transaction was an ATM withdrawal. And we just knew instantly. And I was crushed and I, and I was upset and I didn't know what I was going to do. We finally confronted him and he said that, you know, it, he just slipped up and like whatever, made all of his excuses and he, it was going to get better and he was going to change and he was going to help and everything, whatever, and he was going to quit. And so we believe him, you know, who wouldn't want to believe him after having a kid, you know, like you, you want your family to stay together. So you, so you hang on to any word they say, you know? And so I was like, okay. And so, you know, like he claimed he got help. Well, he never got help. He never stopped using, but we thought it got better for a while. Well, then his, when Malaya was, or when my daughter was like four or five, no, she had to have been like five months old. His parents went out of town and we still lived with them. His mom and his stepdad. And he, while they were out of town, he had stolen a check, some checks out of each of their checkbooks. I had no idea that he did this. I had nothing to do with it, whatever. Well, he went and tried to cash these checks for $1,000 each. Well, they cashed the one from his stepdad, but then the, his mom's bank called her and, like, alerted her. Well, his mom was just so fed up and just, like, out of heat at the moment without thinking. She just immediately called his probation officer and told him what he did. And so he had violated so many times before I had even met him that he went – he. He, they came, they arrested him, they brought him to prison. And, like, that was his last straw. So he went to prison when my daughter was six months old. And I got into it with his, like, me and his mom obviously weren't getting along. She didn't know if I was involved, and I wasn't. And um, um, then I moved back. I, I was starting to have a relationship with my family again, and I moved back home while he was in prison and saved some money up. I immediately got a full... Um, two part-time jobs and I was still going to cosmetology school which is full-time as a lot of people know it's just like an eight nine to five job and I was working at two different bars 
part-time each. So I was working full-time and doing this and taking care of our six-month-old while he was in prison. And, you know, he made me think that, like, he learned his lesson, like, everything was going to be so different when he came home, blah, 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 whatever. I moved into an apartment a couple months before he got out. He got out after five months on work release. So he gets out on work release. And um, hold on, let me make sure I'm on track. Um, and he gets out of work release and I, and I got an apartment like right by where he was on work release. So it was really easy for us to come and see me and Malaya and all the stuff. And here I am thinking I'm going to have this fairy tale life that he sold me, you know? And so then we start trying for our son because our son is 23 months younger than our daughter. Well, I get pregnant right away. I have a miscarriage. That was really, you know, hard, obviously. Well, I get pregnant again right after I had like the next time I could possibly be pregnant after that miscarriage I got pregnant with our son and that's when things really started to get very toxic um like it wasn't toxic before was obviously using it, I mean it was toxic before but it was like I mean it was toxic so what made it more I guess toxic now than before uh because I mean you had clearly dealt with the addiction problems with him before why was now different than in previous situations? I mean, the drugs 100%, but also I think two things. Um, first being that the drug usage got worse. Like it, it started out with just like pill opiates and then progressed to heroin. And I don't think that I really saw, I don't think I really was aware of it progressing as bad as it was at the time. I, I didn't think it was as bad as it was. So that, and also the fact that I think we, like, we're both on two different pages. Like, obviously, he was still very much wanting to live that lifestyle. And I thought we were on, in a, on a totally different page where we wanted to put that in the past. And it was just a mistake. And we wanted to, uh, this family, you know, I think between the two of those things, I think that that totally turned up the toxicity a lot, you know. And also, you had told me before we had started, uh, about this time period is when he had got back from prison, right? Correct. Yep. He had just gone back from prison. So, he was on parole. But, like, he knew every time he was supposed to go. It wasn't a surprise. Like, and that just made it that much easier for him. Because when he was, like, on drug court and, like, he had to call in every morning to see if he had at a UA or whatever, you know, like explain, great ex- explain then, to the people that are listening what drug court is and what a UA is. Okay. So a UA is a urinary analysis, which checks for any Piss drugs, pants. um, in your body, alcohol included. And then, um, drug court basically. So let's say you get a felony drug offense and you know, it's your first offense. You don't have any previous, whatever. You've never been in trouble. Well, they'll give you basically a second chance instead of sending you to prison, you get to go to this thing called drug court where you go to court every Friday, basically. And then on the weekdays, you call in to make sure you don't have a UA because they UA you multiple times a week. You have to go in. It's just, it's a very monitored version of probation, basically. And so, and then you get your sentence reduced or your time reduced or whatever. It's, it's basically a second chance for people. Nice. That, uh... And he was just kind of, he knew how to play the system, I guess is what you were saying. For sure. Like he, okay. So 
he w- would have been 32 um this la- just a couple days ago so april 22nd he would have been 20 or 32 and so since he was 18 he spent maybe two years off paper if that the whole time so i mean he was very familiar with it too you know how long was he locked up so he's been to jail a lot of different times he's been to nurk i i want to say twice which is like a work farm which is similar it's like you know, and it's, it's what like what we have here. It's kinda. what we have here. They're called and the then he's been centers. To... Yeah, and then he was in prison for five months, and then on work release for three. So technically, he did an eight-month prison sentence. But he spent a lot of different times locked up for multiple different things, and um, he did end up actually being on um, felony probation for domestic strangulation. Um, as we get into the story further. Yeah, that that that's the part I want to gravitate towards this is mm-hmm. um I'm not going to say this is the last domestic violence show I'm going to do for a little while cuz I never know what's coming up. But uh right. you know, I, I want that to be the point that we hit home is you know the domestic violence part of this, the drug part, him going to prison, that's all, you know, horrible. But from you had to deal with a drug addict who was, you know, abusing you. And you know, kind of, kind of tell folks what you went through with that and how it started, and when you just, I guess, you knew enough was enough and got out of the situation. Okay, so there's like three, three or four main times that really stick out in my head that things started where I went like, okay, this is really bad. And the first time was I um had found like drugs in the house and um it was actually the day I went into labor with our son I was like going into labor that morning I don't know if it just was random or if it was because we're arguing but regardless um I started to go into labor and I knew I was going into labor and we're arguing over this these drugs that I found and he somehow he makes it me believe it's my fault he's trying to leave and I couldn't drive at the time and we only had one vehicle And so he's trying to leave and I'm trying to keep him there and I'm standing in front of the car and I'm like laying across the hood of his car and I was pregnant trying to keep him there. And luckily I had already called his mom and he, and he, cause he tried to drive out of the driveway. Were you already out of his car? Were you already in labor at this point? Yeah, I was going in labor. You can't like, I know we're, I know you're mad, but you can't leave. Like I'm going into labor. And I think he thought that I was just like trying to get him to stay, but I was being dead serious. And I luckily had already called his mom and she had blocked him in the driveway. So he didn't get far, but so that time, and then that kind of rolled into another time shortly after that, he he's always been, he's always had kind of an anger problem where to like, where like he would punch stuff or throw stuff, you know, when he gets mad, just like a very like expressive, angry person like that, I guess. I don't know how you want to, explain that but you know like people like that and um this one time we had gotten to an argument about something I don't even remember what it was about and he had like taken our bedroom door and he had like slammed his head into it and he had fallen on the ground and I thought he knocked himself out so like I have a medical background like I was EMT certified so I'm like trying to make sure that he's still breathing and like he's laying on the ground I like go to make sure he's still breathing and he bites my arm so hard he leaves teeth you know like you could tell for weeks that like I had this big huge bite mark in my arm because I was trying to make sure he's still breathing you know like but that's also just goes to show like how little like just how 
immature minded and emotionally stunted addicts can be you know and for years like I hated addicts so much because of what it turned like what it turned him into because he could be a great person like don't get me wrong like I don't want anyone to think for a second that like there wasn't a good side to him because there's probably an a decent side to a lot of abusers you know but that didn't make what he did right you know but then it started to get really bad and it got to the point where um I finally left I, I I finally left um for the first time and um I left because I had found an uncapped needle on the corner of our bathroom counter in the middle of the night. And our two-year-old daughter had just been night potty trained. And thank God I found it. And he tried, yeah, I was so mad. And And then I was even more mad when he tried to tell me it was someone else's. Nah, fuck that shit. When you're- (laughs) At least you know where your body's been who you've shared drugs with like it, you don't know what's uh, in someone else like I'd rather it be yours but I was just so mad and that that's when I left and so about a month after that um he had to have been like circling my house or something like I don't know like okay so I was a bartender but prior to my accident and I worked in a smaller bar. It was connected to a bowling alley. So I like knew my regulars very well. And we had a hotel um, across the street. And there were workers from out of town that were working on the Maurice's building. So they were in there all summer long. And we're very slow because we're a bowling alley in the summer in Minnesota. Well, I got very close to this kid who was my age. We were just friends. He was going to this um, concert in town on a Friday. And some old guy country concert like Johnny Cash or something I don't know something I was not interested in and, um, no offense oh no yeah, I'm very Cash, I'm taking but, a whole lot of fucking um, offense to he, that that, make, that makes me almost I as know. mad that makes me almost as mad as him having an uncapped needle around your two year old fuck that <laughs> Um, but so this kid's like, he was like, yeah, well, it sucks though that I can't drink, you know, cause they only have their hotel during the week. And I was like, you know, we've been, ta- you know, we've been friends for like three months. Like you can just, you know, spend the night on my couch. Like it's not a big deal, you know, like, and I even let him or, and so like, he comes to, he, he comes to my house after the concert and I lived in a duplex. Well, all of a sudden this kid's walking up the stairs, oddly enough, his name's Cody. So you're going to hear that, <laughs> but, um, uh, and this is not the bad kid but so Dustin comes running or my kid's dad comes running up behind him up the stairs to my duplex I'm like Dustin you have to leave like I don't for one I don't even know like he had to have been circling my house this is like a month after we're broken up broken up like I don't know how he knew this kid was at my house but um and like it was completely innocent and we're broken up anyway but whatever and finally I get him to leave well, then he's blowing up my phone the whole night, obviously, like saying he's overdosing and he needs me to call the ambulance and like whatever. And me, I'm still at the point where it's like, I don't think he's good. He, he, he really is. But if I don't call and something happens, I'm going to feel guilty. So I call, they can't find the police and the ambulance and whatever, can't find him anywhere. Like I'm just wore out. It's like, finally, it's like 6 a.m., this kid's asleep in my room so my kids don't even know that he's there like they're never gonna know he's there he's gonna get up and leave before they're even awake because I'm not that type of person I didn't bring around a lot of other different people around my children 
and Dustin or and my kid's dad knows that and um I so like you know when you fall asleep and you're like half asleep and you like have those weird dreams I had this dream that he kicked in my back door and I fell asleep and not even 10 minutes later he kicks in my back door and he starts running in my house and he starts attacking me and because I'm on the couch and then he, and the kid that's there because he knew the kid was there because he saw him earlier that day. Did and that dude fight back? Then he starts waking up my kids. Yeah, it all happened so fast. Like, and we were all in different rooms. Like, like because I wasn't even in the same room as him originally. So like, it, it just and I was so worried about my kids that I don't remember exactly what happened. Like, I just know that. Like I was trying, like, I just remember at one point, Dustin was, had one of my kids. I can't remember which one, if it was my son or my daughter, but one of them in his arms and he was rocking himself in the, in the um, rocking chair. So I couldn't get to him because he's got a kid, one of my kids in his arms. And he, it was the scariest look I've ever seen on his face at that point. And I was just so terrified. And like, he saw me try to call the police. And so that's when he put one of the kids down and then he tried to grab my phone out of my hand and pin me on the bed. And, like, nothing serious, like, physically luckily happened. But it was just really scary, you know. And that's the first time that you, uh, anything like that happened. And then he... You you are a better person. He was on person. the run for a little while, too. You're a better person than me, because I go ahead and tell you. Uh, in that situation, you touch my fucking kids. And I know you're not in the right state of mind. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what I'd done. But that had to be fucking petrifying scary as fuck for you and that's i, I did, after that situation i know you're about to tell like he's on the run and everything but did you allow him to come back around or anything after that so so i've always tried to keep a really good relationship with his mom yeah so there's a lot of times where i should have called the cops and i didn't because i didn't want to put I didn't want to put a strain on the relationship because she has been there for me. You know, she's done a lot of dirty things to me now and I don't appreciate that. But at the time she had done, I thought she had my best interest at heart. So I didn't want to hurt her like that. And I felt like hurting her son was hurting her, I guess. And so um, at first I had said, like, I didn't want him around my kids at all because I still let her have a relationship with them. But then I was like, okay, even if he's clean for three months. And then I was like, two months. And I'm like, one month. I'm like, oh, week, anything. She was still doing it behind my back. And so, like, I, I had control over it, but I didn't have control over it, if that makes sense. It, it like, do, I was it, in a really it do, it hard do, situation. It doesn't. I'm going to need you to elaborate on that. Because uh, I think most of the folks that are listening are probably thinking, hey, if you're not going to keep this addict away from my child and I'm the mother of the child, uh, then... You know, I should be able to take your. I'm not taking my kids over there anymore. Like I, I believe that I believe you. I, I don't know. Help, help me understand that one because I don't understand that one. So I mean, there was definitely a point where I definitely really tried to do that, and she was doing it behind my back, and I would find out in ways like my daughter would say, like, "Oh yeah, Dad helped me make these cookies" or something weird, you know, because she was still really young at the time, and obviously she didn't know that that was not okay. And then, but then she like, I don't know, like she was there when my mom wasn't, you know, when I was pregnant and stuff. So I built this bond with her and like, I just have never really had a great relationship with my parents. And so I finally had someone in my, someone in my life who like, I thought cared about me and had my best interest at heart. And so I just didn't want to do anything that would hurt her. And so like, 
I, I, I bent, a, I bent and twisted a lot of my values and morals because I wanted to keep that relationship good for my kids. And as much as like, I didn't want him to be around in that position, like I still wanted him to be a dad. Like, cause the one thing I could always say about him was he might not have been a good significant other, but for the longest time, I could still say up until the time, the, the very last time I can say he was a good dad, you uh, know, I'll, I'll say and this. that was, you know, and that was the one thing that I could always say. I'll say this, uh, and this is not knocking you for that. By all means, if that was your situation, that's your situation. Addicts, if you have children or you are a woman that is dealing with an addict right now, understand that that person is not the person you think they are, that they can flip a switch in a second and lose their fucking minds. Um, I understand what you're saying, but at the same time, you've got to protect your kids and... That's like, um, the, to put it in perspective for you, my mother. My mother was an, uh, she's still an addict, but she's clean now. For a very long time, she, uh, I wouldn't take my daughter around her. I would not allow, and that's my mother, I would not allow my daughter to go around her because I wanted my daughter's safety to become first. Sometimes we got to hurt people's feelings for our youngins to be safe. Uh, I understand why you're, you know, you went through what you, or what you, why you did what you did. But at the same time, uh, you know, for anybody listening, and this is just my two cents, you know, I kept my mama and my sister away from my daughter because I didn't know what the fuck they were going to do. I didn't know what they were going to be around. Uh, when you said a while ago, you know, that your child was, uh, you know, just got potty trained and was around a, a fucking needle. Um, you know, I went through the situation with my mother where uh, they there was something in her bag one day and my daughter was fucking over there and could have been playing around her back. And when that happened, I went cold on the situation. And I realized right then, till you're clean and sober, you don't, and I, this, you know, don't mean to hurt anybody's feelings, but it's, you don't deserve to be around my fucking kid. If you're not going to be in the right mind state 100% of the time, I don't drink around my daughter. So if I know that I'm not going to drink around my daughter, I'm not going to allow to anybody that might use drugs around my daughter. So I, like I said, it's my two cents. 100% agree. Yeah. It just, it, 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 at the time, like I was, I was younger. I was in a compromise, you know, and I'm not saying what I did was right in any way, but I mean, he was never alone with them when he was like that. I mean, cause we even took, like, he used to actually watch them when I went to work and we actually took that privilege away from him. So that either my mom or his mom was watching them. Like he couldn't be alone with them at one time. So, I mean, he was never alone with them, but I mean, looking back, I would, there are a lot of things now looking back that I would definitely change, especially the way that it's worked out for me, because it's really only hurt me by allowing, but by, by being so concerned about everyone else's feelings. Like my whole life, I've always been worried about how everyone else feels and making sure everyone else is happy. And, you know, I lived for everyone else, not myself. And now I'm finally living for me and that, and it, I finally took the power back and it's just, it, I would change a lot of things. I would do a lot of things I did when I was younger, a lot that's, differently now. For that's, sure, ve that's very, very important. That right there is a very, very important statement. That's growth, honey. I mean, that, that's growth. It's, we all have made stupid fucking mistakes. I've been in jail before. Uh, I've been a thief before. I've done a lot of bad shit growing up, uh, that I was just not a good fucking person. 
And um, but it's growing up and it's taking those bad situations and turning them into something positive. Uh, you don't have failures. I say it all the time on the show because I want everybody to understand like how my my mindset is is you don't have failures. You have learning experiences. People who view bad things in their life as a failure are people that usually play the victim. People who don't want to be the victim and they want to be the hero of their own story, they look at it as, oh, that fucking happened. That fucking sucked. But let me see this as an opportunity to know not to do this again or go back down this road. And, you know, I mean, that's, that's, that's growth, though. Uh, I've never been in your position. I've never, I've, I, I might like to overindulge in some alcohol and uh, might wanted to uh, hit a THC pen every now and then, but that's the extent of my drug use. And, you know, I just, I don't, the fact that you know now that there's some things you would change, that makes me want to hear more of your story because and I understand the the your 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 children's father has passed away now. Um, we'll get to that in a minute. But you know, it, it was almost like you were kind of making excuses uh, uh, for his behavior, um, a little bit there. And uh, I don't know if that's how you meant for it to come off or not. But uh, you know, th there's not an excuse for it. There, there's not. But I guess, I guess. So one of the other little pieces to my story is for year, for the first five years of mine and his relationship, I wanted nothing to do with drugs. I hated drugs because of obviously what they did to me and my family and him, you know, I couldn't stand drug addicts. I didn't want to hear what they had to say. It was a, it, to me, it was a choice. It wasn't, it, it wasn't a disease. Like, like I didn't believe in any of those things. Well, after my accident, um, I, you know, ended up, um, I'm now, I've been, I've been clean, um, for almost two years now in June, it'll be two years, but, um, so how, a, so how about much? a year and a half, there's a year and a half where I actually got into drugs too. So, I mean, I can understand it from, it's hard cause I understand it from both sides now. So know? how much of the time period of what you were talking about earlier like with the you know him having the syringe on the nightstand and all that other stuff, how much of that were you using? None of that. Okay, none of that. Okay, that's still years. Yeah, years, years. Like okay, so I never touched drugs at all up until after I got in my about a year after I got in my accident. So talk about your accident. Let, let, before we jump to that. Before we jump to your drug uses, talk about your accident so people know that portion of it. Okay. So in February of 2017, I was the passenger in a really bad car accident. The driver was not hurt at all. He was actually one of my best friends from high school. Um, we were out in Superior, Wisconsin, out in the country, and he was just, we were actually, he was actually on his way to drop me off to get ready for his brother's funeral. Um, we had been out the night before for benefit for his parents and I had just spent the night at his house and he was dropping me off in my truck and he was just driving too fast for the weather conditions and we hit black ice and the truck spun and I ended up breaking my back in eight places. I had 11 fractured vertebrae. I had a lesion to my kidney and my liver. I had a broken scapula, six broken ribs, um, and a collapsed lung. 
So they brought me into the local hospital. They put in an emergency chest tube. Um, and then they put me on a helicopter and they life flighted me two and a half hours away where they, where I got there. And then they did a six, like a 12, I think hour back surgery or something like that. Some type of time like that. And so originally I could not move anything from my waist down. It took about nine months to get back what I have now. And I'm now fused from T6 to L5, but at the time I was fused from T10 to L5, which is about eight vertebrae, pretty much the whole like bottom of my back. Now about half my back is fused because last May I actually had hardware failure and had to have my surgery redone. Uh. But um, I was able to get back. I can completely stand on my right leg, but my left leg, I don't have any quad function. I do have some like uh, hip flexor movement and stuff like that. So I can move my legs some, but I can't like kick out or lock my knee out to like stand on it or anything. Uh, so uh, how long ago did you say that was? That was how many months ago? It was four years ago. Four years ago. Okay, where are... Yeah, February 2017. Okay, so... Damn, dude. Um, fuck. Uh, I just... That's rough. That's rough. So you started using after your accident? Is that is that what you kind of hinted at while ago? Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean... So five months before I got in my accident... Um, I was actually with someone else for a short period of time or for like a little bit of time in between all this with Dustin and I, me and my kid's dad, um, there were, you know, after the needle incident thing, like, um, I actually, we were on and off for two years and I was with someone else for a period of time and I got pregnant and, um, I went into labor. My family had just moved to Florida. They were nine hours away moving and I went and um, my water broke early and I went into labor at 29 weeks. They were able to keep me a week. And then I ended up getting an infection because I lost too much amniotic fluid. And my son, um, it, I went septic and my son passed away from that infection. So he was uh, stillborn. So I was already going through a lot when my accident happened. Like I was still really trying to get over that and recover from that. And during that time, um, Dustin and his mom actually, or well, Dustin and his mom did it, but I, it was through Dustin. Like um, they actually filed for full custody of my kids when that happened. And Dustin had just gotten back out of treatment. So, I mean, that was a joke and a half, but I mean, it, I, a lot happened in a really short period of time. So that made it even harder, you know, cause I didn't really even get to process that before, you know, my accident even happened. And then my accident happened and obviously I was in a lot of chronic pain. And for the first year it was controlled, you know, but because of the opioid epidemic and how bad opiates have gotten, the laws are strict and I get that. And the doctors just couldn't, um, my medications, they just couldn't give me what they knew I needed for as far as pain went. And so after, you know, a period of time, you get used to the, you know, the dose that you're on and it doesn't work anymore and they couldn't do anything about it. So I, you know, had seen Dustin do all this for years. And so I started using pills outside of that. And then pills are expensive and heroin's cheaper. And so I got into heroin too, but I mean, it was, I'm not saying this is right. Don't get, don't like nobody get that confused. This is not right. 
in any way, shape or form, but I was not using to get high. Like I was using so that I could function and be a human being and be a parent because like, I couldn't even get off the couch in the beginning. Like for, for the first like two years, I was in so much pain where like, I couldn't do anything with my kids. And like, they didn't ask for this. They didn't ask for me to end up wheelchair bound. They don't deserve that. Like, so I was in such a hard position because it's like, no one let me feel like I had the time that I needed to have to heal on top of that. And I feel like I was in such a hurry to prove that I can still be a mom. I can still be a parent. I can hold it all together that that also got in the way, you know, I, I, uh, I respect you wanting to rush back and, you know, be there for your kids. But just that line that you said, and it, and it, none of this is your fault. What I'm about to say, you would have to know how much I hate prescription pills. I hate prescription medication more than fucking heroin or any other drug in this world. Fucking big pharma and all that shit is such a fucking joke, and it's the biggest drug fucking pusher there is in the world. The fact that you just said that you had to start using heroin because you thought it was going to make you be a better parent because of the way that pills made you feel originally, that is one of the saddest fucking things I've ever heard. But I also completely I understand. There's a, there's a large portion of people that for whatever went down the same road that you were on. They started off because of an accident, because of whatever Oxycontin or whatever. And when they got ready to come, whenever they should have been off of it, they had got, they had built up an addiction to it. Opioids is such a fucking joke. And it makes me so fucking mad. Um, I hate that you said that. Like, I really hate that line that you said but I understand it. I I hope like hell, you, you know, that you understand now why it was bad that you had to do it. But your mindset then, that addiction and what opioids did to you in the first place is fucking sick. I mean, it is it's sick. I don't mean to knock you about that whatsoever. Please understand that. But the fact that I'm sitting here talking to somebody who just wanted to be a good mother. She just just wanted to be a good mother in the way that opioids had made her feel that it built an addiction. She had to have something else. She had to fucking, all of a sudden, a person who's never done heroin in their life, you have to have something because of what opioids did to you. And that's, that's a fucking, it, that, that's harsh, dude. That, that's fucking, that, that hurts my soul that you had to go through that. Worse than your fucking wreck. Well, well, and... It's crazy because the con when I text you today and I said, it's crazy that we, you know, had to push this off. And then I ran into this kid and had this conversation because this kid that I ran into this morning and I, and I don't live in my hometown anymore. So it's so weird that I ran into this kid. So I was two and a half hours away now. And this kid, I chewed this kid, a new one. Like he came into my bowling alley when I was working and I just had started there. And Dustin was just gone to prison. And I was so mad at this kid because I knew that he was like using with Dustin. And I chewed this kid a new one up and down. Like he never showed his face in there again. Like he was terrified to talk to me for years. Like everyone who knew me knew how much I hated drugs. Like I, pre I had taken Dustin's phone before because I paid the phone bill. And like 
I pretended to be him for like three days one time and like people come to our house thinking they were going to get drugs and was like came out screaming and crying that I was pregnant like how could you do this to my family like but I also know that's why I went through it because I didn't understand that they weren't trying to hurt these these people who were both of mine and Dustin's friends that that had become addicts with him like they weren't trying to hurt me and my family like I thought like like I felt they were like they were just trying to do what they had to do to get by in the position they were in and like I didn't get that so like I was so hard on these people and I know that's why it happened to me you know because I just had to understand it from both sides yeah I mean I know this is rough I hate that you ever had to go down that road and I hate that you know I, I it's hard for me to talk about a bunch of this because I've always been on the outside looking in uh, I am a person who, with this show, on any topic that I come across, I try to see both sides of the story. This, unfortunately, is one of those stories that it's so hard for me to understand one side of it, um, because I, I just, I, I just don't get it. Um, I think you're very strong. I think even addressing that situation, you know, the the way you did and everything. Um, keep keep this moving forward, because if I sit here, I'll get fuming. <laughs> I'll get fuming. I'll get um, pissed off. I'll get mad. Um, and it, like I even told you, like when we took, I'll get, we took a break earlier. But let, let's let's uh, let's keep moving before I get hung up on just losing my shit for a minute. Uh, go ahead, um, go go ahead with the I'll next part. I'll get into part. the last time that it got. Yeah. I'll get. I'll go into the last time that was really bad. So the last time that like he really put his hands on me and really hurt me. So um, so okay, so. It was September 2018, and this is after I had started using two, but I had gotten back on my Suboxone, and I was, like, very actively in um, recovery. Like, I was going to NA, NA, and I was, like, active in, like, the recovery community and stuff, and, like, I wanted him to be in the recovery community with me, too, because he was allegedly clean at the time, like, and he just wouldn't because he thought he could still smoke weed and drink. It just led him right back to drugs. But anyway, he was using again. We had finally confronted him, like, blah, 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 whatever. We, he knew, we knew, like, it was not a high, it, we were not hiding anymore. Like, and he was going to get on, he had an appointment to get on Suboxone on Monday, and it's Friday. Our friend had just gotten shot. Um, and they're having a memorial, a memorial for him and we were supposed to go and this is a Saturday. So his mom had our kids. I just want everyone to know for legal purposes that the kids were not there. Yeah. Um, but, um, uh, and this, and I had told him like, look, I'm not going to make you stop using drugs right now and go through all the withdrawals and whatever, when you have a suboxone appointment on Monday, like, but you're not going to use any needles in my house because I do not want the kids getting into that. Or like, I don't want you dying either before Monday and, and whatever. So he was still, anyway, moral story, he was using needles behind my back. I caught him or I was pretty sure I caught him. I was like, gave him the chance to give it, like, give it to me to get rid of and like, whatever. And whatever, like he fell asleep on my couch and I like went to go in the closet for something and a needle almost hit me in the head. And I was freaking pissed because this is the one thing I asked, like, just please don't do this. And I knew that he didn't have cell phone service. I knew he only could use it on Wi-Fi. So I nicely woke him up, 
and I, and I, and I was really honestly nice. This is the one time I like, I didn't even spaz on him. And I was like, look, Dustin, I found a needle. I know you're still using needles. Like you have to go. I'm not going to make you leave right this second. I'm going to let you use the Wi-Fi and call whoever you got to call. But you need to start making phone calls. And he flipped. Like I have never seen him like this. And like, and throughout this, throughout time, like he's like pushed me here, like bit me or whatever, like thrown my wheelchair, like got in my face. What did you say about your wheelchair? Like done all kinds of crazy Oh, he used to like if I was sitting on the bed or something and he was all mad at me, he'd throw my wheelchair whip my wheelchair like across the room, like if he was mad. Oh, like, that, that fuck was just that guy. At this point. But this is the first time, like, I've never seen I've never been so scared in my life when this happened. And like listening to Kylie's story, this is like where it super resonated with me because like I was so scared. Like I thought I was going to fucking die. He just snapped. He was on he I now know. He was on meth, um, heroin, and benzos, like Xanax, Clonopins, that kind of thing. So, like, it was just that. That's just like asking. <laughs> that's asking for like to be a psychoto psycho, basically. But whatever. Anyway, he snaps. He, I, I have like a couch. So my, I have a couch and a love seat, and they're like one sitting against one wall, and the other one's like going the other way from it and I'm sitting on one corner and he's sitting on the other and he comes after me and I and I am paralyzed at this time and he throws me down on the couch and puts his hand in his mouth or his hand over my mouth and my nose and I can't breathe and here I think that he's just trying to make it so I can't yell you know and he doesn't realize that he's got his hand over both my nose and my mouth then I realized that he knows that he's doing that and he's not letting me breathe. And I start to black out and I am so scared. And he finally lets me up and I'm panicking and I don't know what to do because I can't get up and run. Like I'm fucked. There is nothing I can do right now. I'm in my apartment and there's other apartments around, but I'm also like scared. Like, do I, do I try to scream? Like, do I not try to scream? Like, what am I, what do I do? How do I not piss him off right now? So I tried to get him to let me to go to the bathroom. Cause I was like, if I can lock the bathroom long enough and scream, cause he obviously I didn't have my phone. Like that was long gone at this point. Um, he like, maybe I can get somebody to hear me. And I'm so glad he didn't let me get up now though, to go to the bathroom. Because like, if I would have, he would have beat down the door before anyone, before the cops ever got there because the cops took forever to get there once I was able to call the cops. It sounds like he would have um, killed you. But then, so then, oh, for sure, hands down, definitely would have killed me because now he's, so now he's got me up. I'm trying to get him to let me go to the bathroom. He won't let me go to the bathroom. He's sitting there basically, you know, having this conversation out loud with himself. Like, fuck, I fucked up. Now look at what you made me do, you know, like, what am I going to do now? Like, now I'm definitely going to prison. Like, I'm fucked now. Like, I might as well kill you now. Like, look what you made me do. And then he starts tearing into me about how it's my fault that he did this now, you know, and like, it's all my fault. And like, fuck that. Like, I, I prior, like, I got into my accident because I needed to be humbled. Like, prior to that, like, I had a kind of a big mouth, like. So I was always the kind of person who was like, not going to let you talk like that to me. 
but like so like I you know like that got to me a little and like I did try to be kind of a little even though I was so scared I still was like no you're he was like trying to say like how he's gonna kill himself too and I'm like you're not gonna put that on me like I wasn't being too defensive because I didn't want him to hurt me but at the same time I'm like uh no that's not my fault as someone who works with people all the time that uh (laughs) that deal with uh mental health issues I tell you something for any of you women out there listening to this uh right now if they say and or men too it can be either sided um, I have to make sure that I say that. I keep forgetting that men get domestically violent, mm-hmm. yeah, whatever. Um, anyway, look, if they say they're going to kill themselves, they're not. It's the people who don't talk about it are the ones that unfortunately do it. Anybody that talks about it is a narcissist, and they're just trying to get attention. Nine times out of ten. Every once in a while, you might have that one that just talks and talks and talks about it. People that are actually depressed and suicidal do not speak about it. Um uh, I'm going to ask you some tough questions here. Okay. Um, so mm-hmm. first off, uh, when, when he passed, you told me that he passed because of a, uh, overdose, correct? Correct. How far or how long after yeah. this situation was that? So that happened in September of 2018. And when did he pass? So, and he passed away January 22nd of this year. So a little over two years. And that time span from this situation happening, were y'all still together? Did he get locked up and sent to prison because of this? What What was the time frame between that and him passing? That What happened like between okay. you two? Okay, so basically after this incident happened, um, first, really quick, let me just, like, finish. But he did end up, like, trying to suffocate me again after that, like, put a pillow over my head, everything. Like, I ended up having, like, my my lip ended up being completely, like, cracked open. I ended up getting, having a black eye. I had choke marks around my neck. Like, the police have all these pictures, and I wish I still had the phone that had all these pictures on it. But, um... Yeah, it was really bad. Like, it was the worst. Like, my, I didn't have as bad of a black eye as Kylie, thank the Lord. And, like, and, you know, whatever. And I didn't, yeah, I can't even imagine what she went through. But even going through anything even remotely similar, like, I give her all, like, I can't even imagine. But um, um, he ended up actually leaving with my car and my purse. So he had everything of mine with him, except for my phone. I did have my phone. And I didn't realize he left with my car at first, but he was missing for like three days. The cops never even could find my car. Um, somebody from AA actually found my car. And he, I ended up having it towed and I ended up getting my keys back from him um, somehow through a third party because he was like scared because he knew I had a warrant out. And um, so he was on the run. They got him after like a month. But like... I don't know. I was in like a dark place myself. And especially after my accident, um, I was a lot more, um, I was a lot more easily manipulated into staying with him and thinking it was just because of the drugs and the drugs are what made him do it. And if he, we can just get him help for drugs, like it'll be fine. Like if we can both just be clean and sober, everything's going to be fine. You know? especially after my accident, because I was so scared that no one would ever want me and ever love me. And that's like something he really tried to instill into my brain. Like 
every time we got into an argument or a fight after my accident, it would be like, no one's ever going to love you and do the things that I do for you after your accident and blah, blah, blah. Like it was always that kind of mentality. And he really made me believe that for a while. So, I mean, we did get back together. Um, and then, so then um, he, after that happened, he actually got uh, trespassed from my apartment building, but I did get like $20,000 finally from my accident. And so I used that money and put, um, like, put, um, paid out a, le- a year's lease for us to live somewhere else because he couldn't, he couldn't even come and help, like, bring my daughter to the bus stop or anything. And, like, I, I-, I was still blaming it on the drugs. And, like, if we can just get clean, like, he'll be fine, you know? The saddest and, part, the saddest part about this with January, a lot of people, the saddest part about this with a lot of people is just thinking you're going to change somebody who's not going to change. I, and, and that sucks. I mean, mm-hmm. it does. It sucks. It, so, there's so many people that just think that one day there's going to be this magical day that they're going to come and they're going to come back around without rehab or anything else, and they're going to change. That's not how the fucking way it works. There has to be a dramatic fucking shift in their life for them to change, either prison, rehab, something. And it, it's rare. It is and so none rare of that, that it happens without that. So rare because he, he had done all that. You know, he, he probably has been, he had been, I had watched him go to the same rehab place three times, two times to this other place. Like just the time we were together, this isn't even before he even got put on drug court. He was probably to rehab seven times in our eight and a half year relationship, you know? At one point, my parent, my dad and my stepmom, who I do not speak with because of other reasons right now, um, had offered to pay for all our bills for a year and pay for whatever his health insurance wouldn't cover for him to go to Teen Challenge, and he just wouldn't go. If you don't want it, it's not going to happen. And But I just thought that if, like, you know, we could just get clean and we could get away from all these people and change people, places, and things and all this stuff, like, we could just, it, it would just work out. And it didn't because in January, we, that's when, you know, he kept fa- failing UAs. So we had this long story short bullet points. Basically he was mad at me, him and his mom called CPS on me when he was using, which is just stupid on his part. Cause then they wanted to UA him. They UA'd me. I didn't, I didn't have anything in my system. So it was fine. Like um, he wouldn't go in. Cause obviously he did. Well, he failed, like, two other UAs, so they kept our case open. Well, then I ended up actually having a false positive UA, and they took the kids over it. So our kids got taken in January. And I've been fighting for them ever since. Um, His mom has them. And um, so that's when things were really bad for me. There was a a five-month period where I did, like, everything went to hell for me because I just did not care. Like, you took the last two reasons I had to live. Like, I don't care. Like, my, I already lost a son. I, I, I fought my ass off. Like, like, after my accident, if it wasn't for my kids, like, I would have just gave up. Like, that was a lot, you know, especially after losing my son. Like, but I fought for my kids, you know. And now you just took the last two things I have to live for away from me. Like, I did not care. My drug use got so out of hand, and I am not proud of it but I just didn't care. 
And, but then when I did go to treatment, I was ready to go to treatment and I wanted to go to treatment and Dustin got arrested in March. Our kids got taken in January. Dustin got arrested in March because he wasn't checking in with probation and he was, I ended up getting him, um, felony probation with, um, stay of adjudication, I believe is what it is, which basically means that he would not have the violent offense, the, the felony domestic um, by strangulation on his um, record. And he wouldn't have to do any time if he successfully completed probation. Mm-hmm. So I got him the deal of a lifetime because I can't, from the day one, I told him, I'm like, he's a drug addict. He needs help. He's a drug addict. He needs help. And like, the the victim advocate laughed at me when I asked if he like if he could get stay of adjudication or like stay of imposition or anything and he's like I don't think they're gonna go for that and she did and I got him the deal of a lifetime and he just pissed on it and just kept fucking it up and I then that that kind of made me mad because it's like you know like I felt like I made a sacrifice for him and he just didn't care you know yeah that's fucked up dude I mean there's and Ah, that's rough. You're like, I don't know. But like I said, there's going to be a lot of things that I say that if you're an addict or, or you are a recovering addict that, you know, it might piss you off that I say, but there's just, I don't understand how my mind does not function in the way to where I understand these, like his action. You just saved his ass. Like you legit saved his fucking ass. But yeah, he he he's ready for the drugs and like y'all's kids being took away because and there were still it. times it's, after that where up. it wasn't as bad, but it wasn't great, you know. Yeah. Um. Well. Uh. Let's let's unfortunately get to you know the sad thing that happened for y'all in January. Um. As we we come up mm-hmm. uh, on over an hour now. Uh. Kind of go into detail what happened in January and then where you're at now for us to wrap this up. And then we're going to try to try to piece together, you know, uh, a closing statement from you that I hope you can think about between now and then that uh, to where it helps somebody to where (laughs) to where, you know, it it really helps somebody. Okay, so basically that March he got arrested and he went to like the work farm or whatever. And then I went to treatment in June. And then he also came down to treatment in July when he got done with all that. He also had to do treatment. And um, originally we both had planned to go right back up to Duluth. And I said, absolutely not. I've watched you do this a million times. And this one thing that you never change is where you are. Like you either, you always come back here, you know? We need, to, we need to do something different. Like, we're not going back. And I made a very, very difficult decision to stay down here because I don't know any, you know, it was completely yeah. you new. We didn't know anybody down here at all. We don't have any family, you know, nothing. You know, and that's hard. And when I decided to go to treatment and I was going to change my life, I gave up everyone for back home. It didn't matter if they were drug addicts or not drug addicts. I gave up my best friend. Because I didn't want any reason that made me miss home to want to go back there because I knew I couldn't. And um, so, so, you know, like, um, so I went to a longer inpatient program than, than my kid's dad did because I felt like I needed it. And it was the first time I ever did it. And I wanted to do it the right way the first time. 
and um he just never stepped up like I, I i needed him to step up finally and like help save money and get a job and like he's never contributed to any bills prior you know if anything he was stealing money from me you know and so it was really hard because like i got very i got kind of angry because i felt like i'm doing all this work on myself and here you are not doing anything you know and i got very frustrating and it ended up tearing us apart we broke up um christmas eve of 2019 and we he would he would like message me randomly but like i just wasn't having it because i was in a good place and um well not a great place but a better place and um i did find out that he relapsed a long time ago a lot sooner than i thought but um so he he probably relapsed probably shortly after we broke up that year. And then um, he moved, he actually moved back home two weeks before or around Christmas time. And he hadn't even been home for two weeks and he passed away from Thank a drug you. overdose. And um, yeah, it's really hard because, you know, and it, and it sucks. It, it, it really hit hard for our family, especially because we just did this two years ago with my sisters, um, with my nephew's dad. So um, both of our kids, actually, me and my sister's kid act, actually don't have dads now. So it's just really hard. Oh, that's tough. And, yeah. it, and it's been really hard for me, you know, because I've talked about, you know, things like my kid's dad is done or said or whatever, you know, I've set, you know, those typical ex TikToks and stuff like that. So it's hard to talk about both because people automatically are like, well, how can you feel both about the same person or all oh, that must not be about the same person, you know, cause I can, and, and that's what, and that's what I've struggled with the most, I guess it, it now is like, how do I still help other people who've gone through what, I, you know, the domestic violence stuff and all that stuff that I've gone through and still be able to talk about that, but still love him as my kid's, my kid's father and the person that I was basically grew up my adult, you know, adulthood with. How do I still love and appreciate the good times in our relationship, but still be able to talk about the bad and bring awareness to that, you know? Uh, I honestly, I, I don't know how to tell you that one because, you know, it seems like there's so much trauma wrapped into what y'all went through that I I would figure it's going to be hard to talk to your kids about them at all. Um, you know, I'm sure there's some good well, stories. Not just my kids, but just in general. Yeah. Just in general. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I mean, that the only time will tell is how you want to see it. I don't think there's a right answer to that. I think that how you want to do that, regardless of what I say or what anybody else says or whatever, um, you know, addiction is, it's ugly. And every addiction story is different. There's not one that you really see that is exactly like, there's a lot that are similar, but you know, everything that you've been through with the domestic violence and then losing him to addiction or whatever, uh, you probably need to sit down and write a book. An hour and 15 minutes really ain't long enough for this. Um, you're, you're tough, though. I'll give it to you because you are doing a whole lot better than I know that what I would be doing uh, in this in this present moment between you 
being in a horrible accident and being in a wheelchair um, some of the time. Uh, and, you know, just him him dying of an overdose, your kid's situation right now, uh, the domestic violence, you're a, you're a tough bitch. Yeah, I mean, you, you really are. Um, and I'm telling y'all, if y'all was to see her smiling right now, uh, you know, there, there comes a moment in time that you realize that the struggles you've went through, you were supposed to go through. I don't know where you're currently at in life uh, mentally or anything, but there's going to be something really good come from you if you stay clean and you try to be a really good mother. And I think you want to be a really good mother. I think that what you're battling right now, uh, look, when you go to a court and you go through all the shit you're going through or whatever, you know, use your story. You Use your story before then, not at court, but do what you're doing right now. Reach out to folks like me. Share what you've been through. Try to help people that are recovering addicts or people that are addicts. Uh, and I'll tell you another thing. The confidence that you have being in a wheelchair help promote that shit. There's a whole lot of folks that are, are wheelchair bound and you know, they are, are bound to a wheelchair. I said that backwards that they don't have the confidence you have, you know, you, you kind of, you kind of radiate this. You still have this positive outlook on life. And, uh, you know, if, if people don't take anything more from the show that we did tonight, I hope they realize that it doesn't matter the situation that you've been through or what you're in. It's all about how you look at it and, you know, what you take from it. And I don't think that you play the victim in your story. And that was, that's what makes me like you, Brittany, is to everything you said, you have yet to come off as the victim or, or portray yourself as the victim. Uh, you try to make excuses for people um, to justify their actions when – Unfortunately, in this world we live in, you can't just justify actions. Some people are just, are just, they're not good people. Um, and I hate saying that because it's cold as fuck to say, but they're just, you have rotten apples. Um, I think you are very smart for getting out of the situation you were in before it got too late for you. And, uh, you know, there's going to be somebody out there that, and like I said, I don't mean this in a bad way going to be somebody out there that hears your story and is like, you know what? If she can fucking do it, she can suck it up and she can smile right now, then whatever I'm going through is really not that bad. I can fucking overcome it. And uh, be part of the Raising Grace family now, bitch. Like, you, uh, you're cool with, you're, you're cool with me. I, love, I like how optimistic you are with all the shit you've been through. That, that says a whole hell of a lot. You has to be you know like if you you know you can and don't get me wrong the first year after my accident I definitely played the for me card a, a lot but after a while I just realized like it's not hurting anyone but me no one else is upset because of what happened you know like the the kid who was driving he moved on and I haven't talked to him in years and he was one of my best friends you know me being angry isn't going isn't a, making anyone else's life worse but mine you know and you know, we all, I, I strongly believe as, as cheesy as it sounds, you know, and, uh, you know, it, that we, that everything truly happens for a reason, and you it know, does. we, everything we go through in life is meant to teach us something. And even the really hard stuff, like you might not know in the moment why you went through something, but I guarantee you down the road, eventually you'll be like, wow, that's why that happened, you know? 
And I've just, and that, and that's what's important is that you take, you take the lessons out of the bad times, you know, it's okay to, it's okay to mess up and it's okay to have bad times and it's okay to not make the best decisions. But as long as you learn from those and take the lessons out of the crappy times, you know? Absolutely. That is how you end it right there. That is great advice, darling. Um, one more time real fast, tell them where they can find you on social media uh, so they can reach out because I'm sure there's going to be some people that want to talk to you and uh, tell you what a badass you are and to keep your head up with everything you're still battling. Yeah, so it, on TikTok and Instagram, it's Wheel Queen B, W-H-E-E-L-Q-U-E-E-N-B, just a letter B. And, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well, darling, once again, I thank you for coming on the show. If you need anything, feel free to reach out to us. And, uh, and thank each and every one of y'all for listening to Politics, Religion, and Whiskey, the Josh Terry Podcast. I will catch y'all next time.